episode 401 of the Bowery Boys, The World Before Wordle, talking puzzles with A.J. Jacobs. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Support for the Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers, and we have a very puzzling show in store for you today. Yeah, you know, we thought we'd wrap up 2022 by taking a break from some of the more serious subjects that we've been covering recently, Mm -hmm. you know housing reform, tenement living conditions, neighborhood gentrification, Mm -hmm. mounting urban problems, all very important topics, Mm -hmm. too. But now it's just time to exhale and take a deep breath and puzzle ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And do Wordle. I mean, isn't isn't that why we do Wordle? You do do Wordle, right, Craig? Yeah, I mean, most days. In fact, actually, I forgot to do it today. I usually do it early in the morning, so Mm -hmm. I'll I'll do it when we're done, just as a treat for myself. Uh, Same thing with me. Yes, I I use it kind of um, as a treat, and I do share my score every day with my family. But regardless, it's funny that you and I have never really talked about Wordle to each other, because the point of today's show is not for us to get into the weeds about our own Wordle obsession, but but rather to put Wordle into some sort of historical context. Yes, because Wordle is only the latest of a long line of games that have taken New York and, of course, the whole world by storm. Obviously, there's the classics. There's the crossword puzzle and mm-hmm. rebuses, cryptics. Of course, a big favorite during the pandemic, jigsaw puzzles. And so many more. But where did these puzzles even come from? You might be surprised to learn that many of them have a very New York story, which we both learned about by reading the engaging and puzzling newest book by author A.J. Jacobs called The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever, From Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life, published by Crown in 2022. AJ is known for his fun, immersive style of writing. You know, he's not afraid to tackle a giant project like reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica in order to become the smartest person in the world, which he attempted in his 2004 book, The Know-It-All. He's tackled numerous other wild projects since. So Tom and I had the great pleasure of sitting down with AJ a few days ago to discuss puzzle history and his adventures in puzzling. So we are so excited to be joined now by A.J. Jacobs, author of the 2022 book, The Puzzler, which includes chapters on many different types and categories of puzzles, including chapters on crosswords, anagrams, rebuses, mazes, and more. A.J. tells their histories, introduces us to people who are leaders of these puzzle genres. Uh, And also, you know, he jumps in himself, sometimes enlisting his family to interact with the puzzles and even participate in some puzzle competitions. Oh, we'll be talking about those. And of course, the book is packed with puzzles created for the book by Greg Pliska in the print edition and equally enjoyable as an audiobook, which is most of the time, how I took in this edition. Um, welcome to the show, AJ Jacobs. I am thrilled to be here. As you know, the whole Jacobs family are huge Bowery Boy fans Aww. and Patreon supporters. Oh, Thank you. Of course. Thank you for being here. And uh, we are so excited to talk about New York and puzzles past and present. You know, a few days ago, I was riding the subway and I looked around and I think that I spotted four different people on the train doing Wordle at the same time, okay? I'd already done mine at the same time, by this point, so I wasn't cheating by looking at Bright them. Right and early, right? Right and early. But it really hit me, not only is that a phenomenon, but it seemed like everybody I know is playing it. But it isn't just Wordle, it's other kinds of puzzles too. Spelling bee, crosswords, words with friends. What is going on here? Is this like the biggest puzzle moment ever in the city? Why has the city become so obsessed with puzzles? It is. It's puzzle mania. I mean, I love it. I do think we're in a golden age of puzzles. Like you said, Wordle. And even during the pandemic, during quarantine, there Mm -hmm. was that jigsaw, like a huge jigsaw Mm -hmm. phase. 
And you couldn't buy a jigsaw puzzle because they were all sold out. It was like hand sanitizer. Uh, <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I hope it continues. It's hard to know exactly why. There are a lot of theories that it's in stressful times, like mm-hmm. the Depression was a huge puzzle uh, era, another golden age where people would line up at their local newsstands for the weekly jigsaw. They had jigsaws, you know, released every week. I think they were a dime. Like and, you bought a box with jigsaw pieces in it? Yes, exactly. Wow, you lined up for that. Wow. <laughs> that and, was like the mobile app of the Great Depression. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was like the Apple store. You'd line up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, uh, and, you know, these are stressful times. So maybe that's a reason for it. But I'm delighted, and, uh, and I hope it continues. Yeah. And I just have to ask, by the way, to back up here, how do you even define, because you talk about this in the book, how do you define what a puzzle is and the difference between a puzzle and, say, a problem. Yeah, like a murder mystery, an escape room. Are those puzzles? I am very liberal in my use (laughs) of puzzle. Uh, I think anything that has an aha moment, anything that requires some innovative thinking can be a puzzle. So, yes, it could be. And and visual puzzles. I love uh, visual puzzles, too. And anything uh, we, we were just talking before about Glass Onion. That is mm-hmm. that is a huge puzzle-themed movie. <laughs> so Agatha Christie is definitely like a puzzle icon of sorts, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to have a whole chapter on mysteries, and, uh, yeah. and then I ran out of time because <laughs> I would have to read all the books. But putting together these points here, you just said that, you know, maybe during stressful times, is it because we look for something that we can actually solve? Yes, that's a big part of it. A lot of puzzle theorists, and there are puzzle theorists. I'm sure you talk to them. That's right. They said it's sort of a a little bit of order out of chaos. We live Mm -hmm. in a a chaotic world, and here's a little bit of certainty that you can cling to here. And some of our life problems, it's hard to solve, but here's one we know there's going to be an answer. Now, we need to set the stage here because I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with you and your name. If if they're not, they're at least familiar with some of your most popular, most interesting books like The Know-It-All and The Year of Living Biblically. But this is a very particular kind of journalism. I don't want to besmirch you by calling it stunt journalism, but like immersion journalism is another. I actually compare you very uh, all the time with Nellie Bly. When I describe someone <gasps> what as a compliment. like what you do is very similar to what she did. Yeah. Oh, she is a hero of mine. I, and she's mar- much more hardcore. I mean, as you know, <laughs> she went into an insane asylum to expose the abuses there. And uh, yeah, I have never done anything that brave. But, but I could see you riding a balloon, like chasing after her for 80 I days. <laughs> that I like. Yeah, she did when Around the World in 80 Days came out. She tried to replicate that. So yeah, she's fantastic. Thank you for the compliment. And I do, whatever you want to call it, I like to immerse myself (laughs) and just dive in and live it. Live the topic for a year or two. You don't feel besmirched. (laughs) Oh, by the stun? Oh no, not (laughs) at all. I mean, I I think that word, we should try to resurrect it as a a positive Mm -hmm. word. Because not that I'm comparing myself to Michelangelo, but I guess I am. Go for it. Go for it. You know, the Sistine Chapel, that's kind of a stunt. Like, you know, who yeah. would who would think of painting on the ceiling? So stunt, I think, is defined as anything that's sort of unusual and interesting to gain attention. And if it's to gain attention for something good, why not? And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you write that Michelangelo was himself a puzzler? Da Vinci. Da, oh, Vinci. da Vinci was a huge... Maybe Michelangelo, too. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. But right. Da, da Vinci, of course. Da and, Vinci loved his puzzles. And, and the his whole canard writing. of the Da Vinci Code that oh, you right. go into. Yes, right. Which is, uh, yes, as you say, a little bit of a hoax. And wasn't your first book, didn't it kind of create this theme or like kind of style of journalism for you? The first book was when I read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z. And some of your older listeners may remember what... <laughs> An encyclopedia is. Uh, It's like the Internet. And that one, I've always been a fan of history and knowledge, and as has my father. And he, when I was a kid, started to read the encyclopedia 
and he didn't quite finish because he had a life. You know, he's like, he realized maybe he made it to the middle of the bees, like Borneo. So he had a ways to go. Still an accomplishment. (laughs) Still a lot of words. But I thought maybe it'd be interesting to try to finish what he began and remove that black mark from our family history. So that is, (laughs) that was the origin of my first book. And I read it from A to Z. And it was, it was a challenge, especially for those uh, around me, because at my wife, who is here, she started to fine me, penalize me one dollar for every irrelevant fact I inserted in the conversation. <laughs> oh, so, that wow! Was How a, much did she collect? How much? Lots. Uh, college <laughs> tuition level. Yeah. And Greg asks um, about this book. You know, I, I'm sitting here blushing because I actually brought along my original copy of the book that I bought in 2004 when it came out. This was a bestseller. Of a know-it-all. Yes. It yes, was the know-it-all. A bestseller. Thank you. Uh, I loved writing it. Well, sometimes I loved writing it. I still remember 0.1% of what I read. So I have sure. forgotten 99.9%. But I do remember, if you if you want, I can tell you the two New York history facts. Yes, please, yes. please, please, please. All right. Well, the first was the very first appearance of New York City in the encyclopedia in the letter A. So a. it was under... Apple? Big Apple? No, it was before Apple. It was Ab- Bud Abbott. Bud oh, Abbott. Comedian. And uh, I still remember because it was a, a crazy story how he started with Costello. It was at the Empire Theater. Lou Costello had a different partner. He had some other guy. Mm. The other guy called in sick and Bud Abbott was working the box office at the theater and he volunteered. He's like, I'll be your straight man. And it went so well that Lou Costello fired the other guy. And to me, this is a terrifying story. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, uh, you know, a warning, he a re- cautionary tale. He replaced his his partner with a box office guy. Yeah. Well, that was wow. You know, it turned out that Lou Costello was the box office guy. I mean, he Amazing. was trying to get into comedy, right. work in the box office. But yeah, don't call in sick. That's the, that's the takeaway. <laughs> that's the big takeaway. Um, and what was the second fact? Well, the second fact was for the book. I also read the first encyclopedia, which was 1768. That's when the Britannica came out mm, wow. in Scotland, and you can still buy a reproduction. And I looked last night for New York, and Nothing. It does not make it. But Philadelphia gets a Mm -hmm. little entry as the capital of the province of Pennsylvania because Philadelphia was the biggest city. It was the biggest. It was the only thing really going on, at least from an English perspective, I guess. Right. right? What year was this again? 1768. So. Philly Hmm. had about 30,000 people, and New York had about Mm 20,000. And you know what? Benjamin Franklin had a lot to do with that, I bet. He's good PR, yeah. (laughs) He was out there selling Philadelphia to people across across the water. Gentlemen, this conversation has drifted to Philly. I'm bringing it back (laughs) and turning to your book. The Puzzler, which, you know, I think that when most of us, well, when many people think about puzzles today, your mind automatically jumps to crosswords. And you start your book. The first chapter really is about crosswords and the history of crosswords and you getting into crosswords. When did they first show up? What is the origin story of the crossword? Well, it's surprisingly recent. I thought it would go back hundreds of years, but Mm -hmm. it was 1913, right here in New York City, in Joseph Pulitzer's New York World, uh, which also gave us yellow journalism. So thank (laughs) you for that. And it was by a man named Arthur Wynne, uh, a British fellow. And and the first one was actually, it was called a word cross when it came mm. out. And then by some editing error in later editions, it, it was switched to crossword and that stuck. And from a modern point of view, I, I've done that first one. Not great. Not a <laughs> Not, great. And why pretty, is that? Several reasons. But one is a lot of the clues are super obscure. Mm. Like, let me give you one. The fiber of the Gomuti palm, the Gomuti palm plant, is three letters. And the answer, I, I would wait, but... Yeah, yeah, go uh, ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Everyone, like, pause. Okay, all right, answer, Pause please. if you want to work on this, yes. The so the answer was doh, D-O-H. Doh. We, we all know the proper clue for doh is, you know, Homer Simpson's <laughs> outburst, but... 
<laughs> this was 1913, even before The Simpsons started, apparently. <laughs> Many decades before, yeah. Are you sure? They've been around a long time. <laughs> I know, I was. I had to check. But so, think... uh, so, so they're making a puzzle that's way too difficult. So, I mean, because, and that makes sense, you know, when you, if you start out like a trivia night or what, whatever, maybe the first night all the questions are too hard, so you, mm-hmm. you tone it down and maybe it gets too easy, and so you, you work on it until you get to a middle ground, right? And right. that's what crosswords are, ostensibly, a middle ground of information. Right. And it became hugely popular. And in the teens and 20s and 30s, it was like a phenomenon. And they jumped to different newspapers? Oh, yeah. Hundreds of newspapers. There was a Broadway play with the song called Crossword Mama, You Puzzle Me, But Papa's Gonna Figure You Out. (laughs) So I love that Uh, catchy tune. And Simon & Schuster actually started... As that was their first book, and it was a huge hit. It was a crossword puzzle book. So that's really? how Simon uh, Schuster came out of crosswords. Absolutely, that was their first book they ever published, and they became, you know, they published many of my books. So thank you. It thank all you, comes crosswords. back. Yeah. So was that the heyday? Was there like a crossword boom then in the city in the 1920s? Is this a national thing that happened? Yes, it's national and. Almost every newspaper is printing them except for one. Mm. And interestingly, that is the New York Times. They oh. were very snobby. They thought it was you know, too trivial for them. And they actually, they did cover it uh, as news, this <laughs> phenomenon. So let me actually, since it's a puzzle show, uh-huh. I'll read you four headlines that were in the New York Times in the 20s and 30s. And you can tell me which one is fictional. Oh, good. Okay, okay. so... Pittsburgh pastor says crosswords are the mark of a childish mentality. That's number one. Number two, husband shoots wife, then kills himself when she won't help do the crossword puzzle. Oh, number okay. three. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Number three is crossword headaches boom optical trade. Strain on eyes reveals defects in vision. And then finally... Crossword puzzles clog the wheels of justice because juries were too busy doing them to to deliberate. <laughs> All right, so it's got to be number two. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say number four. Number four. You're saying juries were not too busy. Uh, no, I'm saying I number can four see is distracted the fake one. jurors. I'm, I think number four is the fake one. You think number two is the fake one? I can't imagine a murder over crossword. It's well. Too- I actually, I'm, I lied. I'm sorry. They're all real. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done crazy. that. But there are just too question. many good ones. Too many good ones. You trickster. I know. <laughs> uh, but finally, 1942, uh, partly because of World War II, and they felt people needed a distraction, mm. they buckled and they printed uh, the first crossword puzzle in the Times. It was the founding editor was a woman named Margaret Petherbridge Farrar, uh, and she's wonderful. And she made all sorts of improvements. And then the New York Times became, it is sort of thought of as the paragon of mm-hmm. crosswords. You know, I so I saw that date in your book, and I, I just logged into the Times, and I jumped back to that issue. It was a Sunday, the 15th oh, of good. February, uh, 1942. And, you know... It was depressing. I mean, the news was horrible. It was in the opening years, chapters of of World War II. It's like the thing was 185 pages long. First of all, the (laughs) Times, the Sunday Times, plus the Sunday Magazine included. But it is like, I don't know, half of it or more was horrible war coverage. Just page after page after page. Advertisements were either for like Bonwit Twiller dresses, you know, and like Lord and Taylor air raid shelters that you could put in your own backyard. And it was just incredibly depressing. So then by the time I finally got to the it was in the Sunday magazine, finally got all the way back there. There is this page that says puzzles, you know, and crossword puzzles and a little note to the reader in the bottom that says today we're introducing this whole thing on this new feature. Did you do them? Did you try? Well, there were. Yeah, there were. There's the one on the top. It was called Headlines and Footnotes. Uh-huh. That seemed harder. The one on the bottom <laughs> was called Riddle Me This with a byline, a certain Anna Graham. Oh, <laughs> very clever. <laughs> so then how do we get from that moment where the Times is just introducing in, in the, during World War II to the Times becoming sort of the leader of crossword puzzles. Right. It had a lot to do with Will Shorts, who started in 1993. Uh, And actually, 
just quickly, there's a guy before him named Eugene Maleska, and he's very funny because he's controversial in the crossword community because a lot of people think that he was too pretentious because he was obsessed with, like, Russian mezzo-sopranos, like super <laughs> pompous stuff. And and Will was considered— And I'm sorry, uh, this is pre-Google, too, right? That's so true. These were hard to get these clues. Yeah, it was no fun. Uh, well, I'm, it was fine. But Will, <laughs> I think, brought a lot of whimsy to it. He brought more wordplay. Uh, in fact, I can tell you his favorite clue ever that he says is a— um, the clue is something along the lines of, it turns into another story. And the answer is two words, a six-letter word uh, followed by a nine-letter word. It turns, it turns into, into another, another story. story. It's something about a page it, it turning. Starts, well, no, there's another story. It's the one that's story. A, on a building? Yes. So it is. it starts with S and it S. It turns... A spiral turns. staircase. That's it? Oh, oh. Nice. Did you just get that? <laughs> oh, right. You read the book. <laughs> Sorry. I did uh, I did read that in the book. I just wanted to look smart in front of you guys. Okay? I was fooled. I'm impressed. <laughs> and Will continues to this day to be the editor of all of the Times puzzles. Is that yes, how it works? Yes. He is the ultimate boss. Of all of them. Of all of them. Of Spelling Bee and of... Uh, Vortex is, I think that's what it's called. All sorts. I can't even keep track of how many they have. Now. So they have a whole team of writers and creators of all of those different things, and he oversees. Exactly. But during the 20th century, there was another place to find puzzles in the New York Times, and I never thought of this until your book. And that is in the illustrations of the great Al Hirschfeld, oh. who would insert a word into all of his drawings. Who is Nina. And why did he put it in everything that he did? Almost everything he did. Nina is his daughter. And this was actually the first puzzle I remember doing ever as a kid. And it was uh, it started in 1945 and went for seven decades. Wow. And he because he was the caricaturist and he drew the actors and entertainers and in black and white, usually with a quill pen. He used an actual wow. quill pen. And when his daughter was born in 1945, he decided as an inside joke for his friends, he would hide the name Nina in, like, the hair, the lines in the hair or in the folds of the clothing, and it caught on. It became this phenomenon. Later, he sometimes said he regretted it because people that's what people remember, not his artistry. They remember Nina. Well, fortunately, got, Nina's got, like, those long N's and an A, and there were no Q's or X's. That would have been a little <laughs> bit more difficult to hide. That's a great point. He got, maybe he named her for, for that reason. Uh, and he would uh, he would write a number next to a signature, which would clue you into how many Ninas there were. And one of my favorite stories is there were times because people are people. People would find Ninas that didn't exist. Like we're good conspiracy theorists. So there's a story of of one woman who said she found 11 of the 39 Ninas that he included <laughs> in the drawing of Central Park. But he's like, no, the 39 was 1939 when I drew it, <laughs> which was before Nina was born. So there are none. That's incredible. It's like QAnon, but for Nina. <laughs> Nina Anons. Oh, let's not use that word on the show. Well, we have many, many more puzzles to, to dip into great puzzles from the 20th and 21st century. And we'll dive into them right after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. 
That's homegrown OKC. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. After you listen to today's show, head over and listen to the latest episodes of For the Ages, the podcast from the New York Historical Society exploring the rich and complex history of the United States. Host David M. Rubenstein invites the foremost historians and creative thinkers onto the show for a conversation on a wide range of topics. In a conversation with Tom Brokaw, one of the most respected and trusted figures in U.S. broadcast journalism will give you insights into his prolific life and career, delivering the news to millions of Americans. And we also think that you'll enjoy Rubenstein's conversation with Annette Gordon-Reed, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of The Hemingses of Monticello, An American Family, where you'll discover the private life of Thomas Jefferson, our enigmatic third president's vision of himself, the revolution, and the American experiment taking shape around him. That's For the Ages, available on Apple and Spotify. All right, AJ, I need to ask you something. You have this character in this book that is very larger in life, incredibly intriguing, and I want to hear more about him. And his name is Sam Lloyd, king of the huckster puzzle would you describe him yes <laughs> well he yes i love this character uh and he is larger than life as you say he needs to be better known i think of him as pt barnum meets will shorts and <laughs> he was will shorts's childhood hero so he was there you go he was born in 1841 and he grew up to be a big big guy in all respects with a big white bushy mustache and he was the most famous puzzler of the 19th century and also, as you say, a huckster, a hustler, a snake oil salesman. He started out doing chess puzzles, and then he branched out into everything. Word puzzles, logic puzzles. One of his most famous was called the Famous Trick Donkeys, which was this. Huh. It was a visual puzzle that he did for P.T. Barnum as a promotion. And it's sort of a cut the, along the dotted lines. And there's two donkeys and two humans, and you have to 
rearrange them in a surprising way, and they turn into racehorses and jockeys. Wow. So, yeah, it was cool. That's immersive. <laughs> so, it, 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 so you cut them all out and, and line them up and... Yep. Is it like a constructive puzzle? Right. You have to put them together almost in a, an unusual way. Uh, it's not 3D, but it's, yeah, it's very uh, interactive. So he was sort of thinking outside the box, which, by the way, is a phrase that you also talk <laughs> about in the book. But di- I digress. Continue about Thank Mr. You. Lloyd. Yes. yes. So he was also, my favorite part of him was he was involved in a huge puzzle craze in the 1880s. Which was interesting because it was exactly 100 years before the Rubik's Cube craze of the 1980s, which I still remember. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of weirdly similar to the Rubik's Cube. It was called the 15 Puzzle. And you probably did it as a kid. It's that little square... Now it's made of plastic, and it's got 15 tiles, 16 spaces, and you have to rearrange the little tiles, which are numbered 1 through 15. Loved that game, And how do you move them? You slide them. Right. right? It's a sliding puzzle. Right. And this became an enormous obsession. Millions of people bought it. It was covered in the New York Times again with their (laughs) anti-puzzle obsession, (laughs) called it a pestilence. They said, this is a pestilence. That's a little harsh. I know. So, but they Sam, just couldn't solve it. Yes, no, yeah, that's true. The bitterness, mm-hmm. I can. So Sam claimed that he invented it, which is totally a lie. It was a, a postal worker in upstate New York, and he also one of the he claimed that he perpetrated a hoax on the fifth. And it's not sure whether this is true, but he claims that he offered one thousand dollars, which is about twenty five thousand in today's dollars, to the first person who solved this particular arrangement of the tiles in the 15 Mm. puzzle. But the catch was the contest was rigged because it was impossible. Mathematically, there there are like 7 billion arrangements of the 15 puzzle. And half of those arrangements, the starting arrangements, can be solved and half cannot. So he chose one to sell one that was arranged in an impossible-to-solve formation (laughs) so he never had to pay the prize. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that's, you know, this is a recurring theme, uh, not the hucksterism, but the the money offered, right? The money as as a prize. In fact, we'll get to it in a minute, but you offered a prize, a cash prize as well for people solving a problem in your book. But that makes me think of another chapter you write about rebuses and the, the great rebus craze of 1937. But before we get into that and the cash money that was offered to the, the winner of the rebus craze, can you just tell us what a rebus is? Yes, a rebus is usually a puzzle that involves either illustrations or letters arranged in a creative way. So one would be if an eye, a human eye, represents an eye. So in right. so that is that is one type of rebus. And yeah, as you say, this was I love this craze because it's it's so crazy. <laughs> it was. Uh, this cigarette brand, Old Gold Cigarettes, came up with this promotion idea, a puzzle contest. Which was a major company. They oh, were yeah. One of, they were right. one of the big cigarettes. We don't know them today. Exactly. And to join, to compete, you had to decode a series of 270 cartoons that appeared in national newspapers. And the, the cartoons hid the name of famous figures of the day, like Harry Houdini or Millard Fillmore. And the winner would get a whopping $100,000, which is a lot. During the Depression. During the Depression. So you can see why. And just to give you an example so it becomes clear, like one drawing was of a farm and there was a hen laying an egg and there was a rake nearby. So I won't let... I I couldn't figure it out even with the picture, so I don't accept. But it was (laughs) Henry Clay, Henry Clay, the Kentucky senator. So this thing took off, and there's a great Life magazine article about it at the time, and two million Americans sent in answers, which is huge. And they would clip them from the paper and, and they would send them to New York. Right, because you had to send in your correct answers to win. And so there were 350 bags of mail every day of these. and they. <laughs> so it was actually wow. good for the Depression, because old gold cigarettes had to hire 800 clerks 
to look through the entries. Wow, a job creator. Exactly. <laughs> and people would sell hints for like a dollar forty-five, and and librarians had to to restrict access to dictionaries and encyclopedias to fifteen minutes. Whoa! So and this is like this is that's a craze. Yes. I mean, that when was you've got craze. librarians restricting access to reference books, right? We're in craze zone. I feel it's a genuine craze. Mania, even. Am I crazy, or wasn't there a game show in the 1970s that was was called Concentration, and it was Rebus's, right? That's exactly. That's what I was thinking of when I said the eye represents eye. That's how I know Rebus's. As a kid, that's probably how I first discovered them. Yeah. Yeah. They're so fun. And like the eye, I think you write also, or you include one in the book of an eye under a stand. Right, so it was like I oh, understand. Right, some because of them are more textual. Exactly. Right, there's a whole um, a whole phrase. So, did somebody win this? Someone did win. Well, when I I love the ending actually because it was a tie. There were several people who got all of the answers correct. So, as a tiebreaker, Old Gold had contestants write an essay about why they loved Old Gold cigarettes. <laughs> It's so smooth and healthy. They oh. are such a way to start your morning. They really with... clear my head for solving puzzles. Exactly. Yes. Well, you know that they did, because um, I, again, sort of obsessively looked at their old ads, and I saw pre-Rebus craze, their, their slogan had been, not a cough in the car. Oh. <laughs> you know, which is... Yikes. They were, and, and they were also encouraging people to pay no attention to those, you know, new health reports that were coming out saying that there was uh, there were health concerns around this. So I think a puzzle was a way to bring people together. Mm, yes. Good distraction, right. Now, AJ... Are you a fan of the movie It's a Mad, 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 Mad World? Remember that movie? (laughs) Weirdly, I just bought a friend a poster of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Well, because it's kind of, okay, it's a, I mean, it's it's very rudimentary, but sort of a treasure hunt movie, right? Right. And are you also a fan of Dan Brown novels? Or, I I did read it. I did read, and I could not. Stop turning the pages, so I would and say which, yes. which one, Da Vinci? I read the Da Vinci. Well, cover, so those right. are all, you know, they're like treasure hunt movies of like treasures in the real world. But in fact, in your book, you reveal that there is an actual treasure possibly somewhere here in New York City. According to a book that was published, a treasure hunt book that was published in the 1980s, right? Exactly. And this one, and by the way, you can cut this out, but my wife has a company that is delightful and features treasure hunts and scavenger hunts. So uh, Watson Adventures, oh, in fact. Yes, yeah, okay. They've, uh, they've made um, museum visits fun for thousands of people. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yes. I didn't actually write this down, but I think I remember most of it. Yes, this was a book called The Secret. Uh, so not to ah. be confused with the self-help book. Oh, <laughs> this... not the one where I can just envision myself. Yes, as... there well, is no it... manifesting Well, if you here. found the treasure, it would be self-help, technically. Oh, great but point. Anyway. Great point. And it was, uh, it was by this guy named Byron Price. And it was published in 1982. And it contained these mysterious pictures and a poem. And within those were clues to treasures buried all over North America. So mostly in the U.S., uh, one in Canada. And people have been obsessing about this still for decades. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, You go on the internet and there are these hilarious Reddit threads where people are just yelling at each other. Oh. No, you interpreted it <laughs> wrong. And only three of the 12 have been found. Well, and the one in New York, well, so there's so I might have gone down that rabbit hole this morning. Um, a few of those websites. It was sort of a fun type of conspiracy theory because. Did you one- get yelled at? By the way, I mean, apparently these people can be brutal. Well, I didn't post anything. I was oh. too. I was. I, I'm just beginning to unlock the secrets of this particular puzzle, which everyone believes is in New York. And you talk about it in the book as someone's even like obsessively trying to still find this treasure. So, technically, the. Treasure could still be out there. Not that I want people to start digging into parks and and digging up daisies. Streets. <laughs> so yeah, nothing <laughs> well, like that. Well, that yes. I mean, I talked to some of the the biggest secret theorists, and they believe that the one is in New York because one of the drawings seems to resemble the Statue of Liberty. But they had this long, like, 13-page explanation of where it was, and the guy actually lived far away, so he asked me to go and look for it. 
and it was buried under a tree, which it turns out it's it's illegal to dig up uh, a tree. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so I was not able to find it if it was there. And if we're talking New York and New Yorkers and puzzles, um, one name, one bold face name that jumped out at me in your book was Stephen Sondheim. And he, the role that he has played, a surprising role in the world of puzzles. Tell, tell us about that. Right. Well, Stephen Sondheim may be better known for his Broadway contributions, but I like to think of him as a uh, as a puzzle pioneer because he was he loved puzzles and he he wrote puzzles crossword puzzles he collected puzzles mm. he appears in the glass onion the new movie well he wrote didn't he not he wrote the movie the last of sheila exactly oh, right, right which is also a kind of puzzle it box a puzzle. murder mystery right yeah. and like a scavenger hunt right. and um and he wrote that with anthony perkins weirdly oh wow so uh how psycho! But, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Son- and Sondheim really did. I mean, I can see the wordplay right in in the lyrics that he wrote as well. It's not a there's not a big jump there between his lyrics and, and puzzles. Right. And and perhaps the most important puzzle fact about Stephen Sondheim is that he was really instrumental in changing crosswords in the United States. Because he wrote a very famous article in New York Magazine in 1968 called, What's a Four-Letter Word for East Indian Betel Nut and Who Cares? <laughs> and let, to give you the background on this, at the time there were two different types of crosswords, American and British. And there still are some somewhat differences. British were called cryptics. They're much more obsessed with really weird, funny, smart wordplay. And a lot of the American puzzles were more about, like, you know, what's the biggest river in Bulgaria? So he <laughs> much preferred the, the wordplay, and he wrote, A good clue can give you all the pleasures of being duped that a mystery story can. It has surface innocence, surprise, the revelation of concealed meaning, and the catharsis of solution. So he, at that was very influential. Wordplay became much more prominent. And I'll just give you one example of the type of crazy wordplay that they do in these British crosswords. So one example would be, and I, I did not solve this, so I'm not uh, <laughs> uh, just to, to lower your uh, expectations. But it it was a um, the clue is four letters, just four letters, gags, G E G S, and Gags. the answer is uh, is two words. Uh, the second word is four letters, so that might mm, so gags. And I was like, when I saw this, I'm like, well, you might remember it from the book. So you might- <laughs> well, no, this one, I, this one, this one, I am stumped. I forgot this. I'm one. forgetting uh, this too. Well, the answer is, it, it's not a word. It's it's more like a rebus. It's more like scrambled eggs. So gags, oh. e g g s. So that's the kind of clue that Sondheim It's like liked. a pun on a pun. I mean, it's it's deep. Yeah. Multi-leveled. No. I mean, these things, I still cannot do a lot of these British puzzles. They are way over my head. <laughs> so there are so many styles of puzzles in the book that, of course, the book itself is itself a puzzle, right? How was a puzzle actually embedded in a, into a book, which, of course, must have had a lot of changes up until, you know, like publication date? And is this puzzle, in fact solved already it has been solved i wanted to do a contest just like sam lloyd but i actually wanted to have it solvable (laughs) unlike him i'm not quite the huckster he is and and i i thought i would be inspired by the secret and also this other book that uh, i grew up loving called masquerade where they hid a puzzle in the book and people Mm. could solve it mine was not buried somewhere in manhattan it was more like you just had to figure out the clue and it's in the introduction to the book and it's basically a secret code. And if you find the secret code, you can put it into the website, which is thepuzzlerbook.com. And that opens it up to an amazing collection of 27, I believe, puzzles written by Greg Pliska and several other great puzzle constructors. And they're so clever and weird, and I couldn't get all of them. But the first person to solve all those puzzles got the 10,000. So, oh, so cool. you had to find the, the, the code, put it in, and then solve all 27 additional puzzles. Exactly. Yeah, you cl- had to, to work. Claim. I mean, yeah, it's $10,000. Th- that is a Dan Brown novel. I'm sorry. It's like chapter <laughs> puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. Yeah. Wow. And How those, long did it take somebody? Oh, it took a month. But I will say those puzzles are still there. You can't win 10000 But it's like you can go to the website and 
it does give you the code if you don't want to look at the book, which is fine, because the puzzles are still there and they're still delightful. So if you want some great free puzzles, thepuzzlerbook.com. Well, I may be breaking some news here. AJ doesn't know this. AJ doesn't know this. But I have some puzzles for you. Oh, I'm terrified. Some New York history puzzles that you will be competing against Greg, Greg for. <laughs> oh, Greg has not seen these puzzles either, and we will get to those puzzles right after this. Well, before you you beat me at this contest that Tom <laughs> has constructed without my knowledge, I want to like kind of take a large step back a little bit. I feel like when you get to the end of the, reading your book, you have somehow, in the course of the book, given the reader so many tools to solve, you know, all sorts of puzzles, and all of a sudden, you begin thinking, "Oh, I could actually solve." substantive problems and puzzles in my life. And in fact, the subhead of your book is actually one man's quest to solve the most baffling puzzles ever from crosswords to jigsaws to the meaning of life. Mm. Now, was this actually, was this something that you discovered while collecting all of these stories that something larger was emerging? Or did you kind of maybe know that that was going to happen as you approached the project? Right. I, I was, I'm always pro-puzzle, so I wanted to yeah, show that it's not just a waste of time, like the New York Times used to say. And maybe it has something. It's a force for good. Uh, so I was able to confirm my uh, my supposition that I do believe puzzles are a force for good. And, and I'll just give you one meta example of why. I love this quote from Quincy Jones. He says, um, I don't have problems I have puzzles. Mm. So if you visual, it's almost a reframe of visualizing life has a lot of problems. But if you visualize them as puzzles, problems are so negative and, and intimidating. But puzzles, you know, maybe they're kind of fun and, and, and solvable. They're solution oriented. One of the catchphrases in the book is, is get curious, not furious, because mm. there's so much anger now. But if we can, when I'm talking to someone on the other side of the political spectrum, Instead of getting super angry, I will try to figure it as a puzzle. Why do they believe what they believe? Why do I believe what I believe? Is there any way to show evidence that would change one of our minds? Where do we go from here? All those are, are puzzles that we can work on together. And, and even if you can't change somebody's mind or solve that problem, you can, as you write in the book, benefit from doing a crossword puzzle together. There you go. <laughs> you said that puzzles yeah. have actually brought people from opposite sides of the political uh, yeah. spectrum together. I love there is a study by Cass Sunstein that, that talks about how when they had people from opposite sides of the political spectrum, one of the only activities that brought them together was working on a puzzle. Yeah. So I love that. And and I feel like we don't have enough things like that, right, in right. life anymore. We don't have these moments where we're all just enjoying something Leaving our politics behind, leaving everything else, and just in, in working on something together like right. a puzzle. Yeah, they should do a crossword in Congress every morning together, <laughs> and then all our problems would be solved. And then they gavel it in, and, or maybe they can even all do the wordle together. I don't know. You know? That would really bring Congress, that would bring the nation together. <laughs> Problem who we, solved. Who do we talk to, to about this? But even if I take a larger step back and look, kind of look at all of the projects that you've you've worked on, which are you have one that was on radical honesty, for instance. The one that I connected to the most was the year of living biblically, which is a year in which you lived the rules and customs of the Bible as written. And you know, I, I come from an evangelical background, so like I lived with people who presumed to be doing that. So you, in this book, sort of very brilliantly brought a lot of different perspectives that like, you know, I would never have gotten growing up in that environment. So all of these are very large projects. To me, it seems like you're trying to say something even larger, perhaps, about people, about our society, about maybe even America. Is there a bigger idea, like, as you approach these types of projects, like something similar about them all? 
Well, thank you for giving me credit. That, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say yes to be. Uh, I think one of the big themes is what I mentioned earlier, the curiosity. All of these are about experimental mindset, curiosity, trying new things. And I think, you know, we can get stuck in ruts and it's, it's very dangerous, both intellectually and, uh, and just in terms of your happiness. And so I am a big fan of curiosity, and which is why, to bring it back, one of the many reasons I love the Bowery Boys oh. podcast, because <laughs> you are all about curiosity, mm-hmm. and I just love hearing about things like the Straw Hat Riot. Oh, oh yeah. That is, I think that's my favorite episode. I just, oh. I, I love wow. it. Wow, taking us back to the pandemic. Those were some <laughs> crazy weeks. And uh, are, what are you throwing yourself into next? Well, it's actually kind of Bowery Boys-ish, mm. uh, because it is, it's a bit of a sequel to the book, that Greg just mentioned, the the year of living biblically, uh, it's called the year of living constitutionally, and I'm oh. I'm just starting it, so it won't be out for another year and a half. But it's all about trying to be the ultimate originalist, uh, so the trying to live by the Constitution as closely as possible. But a lot of it is trying to do things. You know, I, I bought my quill pen, just like Al Hirschfeld. Interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I have a musket. Uh, and actually... <laughs> wow. Wait, where did this, you get your musket? Antiquemuskets.com, um, something like that. It, yeah, it's We'll not, give them a plug. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. For all your musket needs. needs. <laughs> and actually, this I know this won't air for a little bit, but on Sunday, December 4th, we are going to France's Tavern mm-hmm. because that is the anniversary of when George Washington gave a famous farewell. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you do. Of course, yeah. of course you do. That's the anniversary. What? Which anniversary would that be? We'll I to... tried to think about it, and then I gave up. Right. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, a long, long time ago. And, and by the way, just reading about that was fascinating because the description, he was weeping. They were all weeping. You don't think yeah. of George Washington as, as a weeper, but he was. We need more weepers, and hopefully... <laughs> hopefully I'll, probably, I'll probably be weeping here in a second, uh, right? All <laughs> oh, right, I'm, turning toward oh, that. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I, uh, you know, you have, you've given us so many good puzzles in your book, and also, I should say, in the audiobook. I, I bought the book and also the audiobook so that I could get through it faster. Thank you. you. know, I could do laundry and walk the dog and still, you know, and then I'd have to, like, catch up in the book, you know? I love it. And so it's interesting that you put in audio-friendly bonus questions at the end of every chapter. I mean, I felt like like you do on NPR and Will Schwartz does on NPR too, you know, with, with questions that work over the radio. So I thought, well, we have to wrap up the show by having some, you know, puzzles of our own. Okay. So what I did is I made some New York City related Ooh. anagrams. Oh, good. Okay. Right. This is very stressful because this is an absolute no win for me. Like, <laughs> you know, well, what? fortunately, I, I have printed them out and I have an, an answer sheet here. I'm just going to. I won't look at it. Okay. All right. Well, you won't see the answers, but we will. I think that there. Well, I don't know. If the, you know, you write about making puzzles um, at, at the end of your book. You write about how there's this delicate balance of finding the right level of difficulty. You don't want to. You don't want to make it too hard, right? Right, it's a sweet spot. Really, when you make a puzzle, you don't know if you've hit that. And I might, and I often walk around looking puzzled, so I might do very well ah, at this. Let's see. And and this is not just a gag. Greg has not seen these yet. So, no. okay, I listener, here's how you can play along at home. You can write these phrases down, and then work on the anagram. And to remind us what the anagram is, an anagram is a shuffling of letters. Right? You can take the words that I'm about to give you and shuffle the letters around to come up with another word. And I'm going to tell you what category that word falls into. Great. So, for example, number one, and I printed it out for these two so they could see it. Ye know it, comma, cry, exclamation. Now, I put in my own punctuation here. But this is, we're looking for a place, ye know it, cry. AJ has his hand in the air. Yes? I, I mean, I figured... You you got to do New York City, and there it was. Ding so, ding ding! I New York City. It makes me cry with joy. I'm I'm a fan. So yes. Okay. Not too hard. Um, I'm a little behind AJ, <laughs> but I'm 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 picking up here. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of Francis Tavern, number two Ooh. is I'm looking for a person. The anagram is Petty Taverns Sue. Petty Taverns Sue. Petty Taverns Sue. Petty Taverns 
sue, S-U-E, as in who might get sued by petty taverns for doing something mean to them back in the day. Anybody? Anybody? You are good. The, um, you have a side gig, a side hustle in doing puzzles. This is good. Uh, um, and by the way, I never claim to be the best puzzler, just a huge fan. Oh, and you make that clear in the book that you're, you know, you just enjoy doing them. Is, I mean, it, is I, it some guy named Steve? What that's is this? what I was thinking Steve. Of Steve. Steve uh, it Steve, is a guy. Steve it is a guy. Harvey? Um, <laughs> not Steve He's Harvey. Mean. Um, I will give you a hint. I'm going in chronological order. So you might want to dig back pre-Steve Peter Harvey. Stuyvesant. Peter Stuyvesant. Peter oh. Stuyvesant, ding, ding, ding. I only know that because uh, you are... Peter Stuyvesant is in like every third episode. So <laughs> He that, also shut down taverns when he took oh. over. Oh, um, yeah. That's outlawed, very good. Yes, okay. And hated very Jews. Clever. And hated Jews. Now, oh... <laughs> Sorry to bring it Moving down. Moving on to three. <laughs> We're looking for a place, chronological order. We're looking for a place where they might anagram stone if VIP. You might get stone if VIP. Um, oh, is it five points? It is. <laughs> oh, very good. Nice right. job. Nice See, you're catching on here. Well, well, slightly unfair because our last episode mentioned five points a lot. All right. Moving, moving forward through New York history, we're looking for a thing, and the anagram is brokering by old. Oh. Yes. Oh, no. I got it wrong. Oh. I Brooke. thought it was Brooklyn. It is Brooklyn, but not mm. Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn... Bay? Brooklyn. It is Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, it is Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> it is Brooklyn Bridge. You got it. You didn't even know it. Oh, I'm so good at this. Brokering I, I by old. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's actually my weakest of them. We're going to move on to number five. We're looking for a place. My anagram is Cod Slime? No. Cod Slime? Cod Slime? No. These are very Robert good. Moses. <gasps> no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was excited. But yeah, there is an exclamation point. Somebody's upset. Been besmirched. Cod slime? No. Not here. Not in this establishment. Okay, give us one more second and then we'll have to... We've moved on from Brooklyn Bridge, so we're late 19th century, turn of the century. It's probably something we're dealing with food. Oh, Delmonico's? Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> Nicely done. I was just like, where nice. would they not... Because so many places probably served cod slime, so where would they not have served it unless it had some sort of a baked Alaska next to it? Okay, <laughs> Delmonico. Okay. Um, two, we've got three more. We're looking for a place... The anagram is Marquise, that is M-A-R-Q-U-E-E-S. It's? I mean, I have a guess that's wrong, but... I... What's that? Oh, no, I see something. Hold on. Marquise. No. I mean, I thought it was an aquarium, but it's not. Uh, no. Marquise. Mm. Oh, it's? It's always oh, not part of the anagram. <laughs> Marquise. M A R Q U E. Because it would be Queen, but there's no N, so there couldn't be Queens. Where would you find Marquis? Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marquis. It's dot dot dot. These are very good. I have to say, mm-hmm. I am. We're not far from it right now. We're in Times Square. Ding ding oh. ding ding. ding Thank ding, you for ding, the ding. clue. Thank you for the clue. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I was so happy to find that I could make Times Square into Marquise. Yeah, that is, you are, you got a, you got a talent. Okay, we're down to two more, ladies and gentlemen. I'm looking for a place, and the anagram is, this is my favorite one, because it involves noises. (laughs) Clang, trot, a train's den. Clang, trot, (gasps) Uh, trains den and AJ has his hand up. I believe it's Grand Central Station. It oh. is. Wow, very, that one is a, that that's a, is great. That's exquisite, exquisitely it's written. Whole, it's a vignette. Do you see the whole thing? <laughs> Beginning, middle, end, full narrative. <laughs> yes, clang, trot, a train's den, and finally finishing it up with a person brooms reset. 
Oh, that's Robert Moses. Ah, <laughs> very good. Wow, you have both really excelled at this. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for playing New York City anagrams on the Bowery Boys. Well, I I would have normally done horribly had I not just read a book about puzzles <laughs> and I got myself in a puzzle frame of mind. I think you're talking about the puzzler, one man's quest to solve the most baffling puzzles ever, from crosswords to jigsaws to the meaning of life. It's been our pleasure to spend this hour with A.J. Jacobs, the author of the book. Thank you so much for being on The Bowery yes, Boys. Thank you. As I as I emailed you, I think <laughs> this is the proudest my father has ever been of me. And uh, a so. puzzler himself. That's true. A puzzler and a Bowery Boys uh, Patreon supporter. Oh, uh, well, thank you. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for being on the show. Today's show has been recorded by Jared O'Connell at the Stitcher Studios in New York City. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for this exploration of puzzles and AJ's quest to find the meaning of life. <laughs> no less. Um, <laughs> a huge thank you to our patrons who support the show on patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Greg and I produce a special patron-only show called Side Streets. And in the latest episode, we discussed the holidays in New York, the holiday experience, mm-hmm. you know, the holiday experience, our experiences over the holidays, our favorite ways to get into the mood, and, you know, other minutiae, such as whether or not the nuts for nuts guys are still around. Am I crazy? I mean, maybe <laughs> right in. I swear I haven't, I haven't seen or smelled them in many a year. No, I, but maybe I'm just in the wrong neighborhood. There is no way that they disappeared. Okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're going to get to the bottom of this. And we ask for your input as well. We love asking mm-hmm. our patrons to chime in with their ideas and feedback, which is listed underneath the Patreon posts. Plus, we share other kinds of extras. For instance, we linked to a recent virtual tour of Christmas in Old New York that was hosted by Jeff Dobbins from Bowery Boys Walks, and that tour was available for free to our patrons. It is really a fun and ever-growing community, and we would love for you to join us over there. And you'll be supporting, of course, the show, too. We couldn't make the show without you. So that's patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. And speaking of tours of Old New York, there are still a couple of them on deck for this year. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of them for January and into the new year. Yes, we have Gilded Age mansions, Greenwich Village, other neighborhoods, but also uh, because it's January and February, um, we like to explore some historic indoor spaces like uh, the Met and Mm -hmm. our new Grand Central Tour. And hey, gift cards. Gift cards make great last-minute stocking stuffers, just saying. Mm-hmm. So all of this and more, that's over at BoweryBoysWalks.com. So thank you very much for listening, not just to this episode, but all year. We have a lot of exciting plans for 2023, so we look forward to seeing you in the new year. Yes, have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. 